You're listening to Women Awake Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Women Awake is an experiment in creating community through radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics, revealing their rise-to-thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for transformation, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So lean in, beloved, because we are letting go of fear and walking tall towards our own radical awakening. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Women Awake Podcast with your host, Amelia Travis. I'm really excited and grateful to bring you today's episode and my guest, who is um, a very special person to me and whose work has impacted my life. She's an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, and mother who has built, alongside her husband, a multimedia digital empire that reaches hundreds of thousands globally. She's committed to supporting ambitious women to light up the world without burning themselves out in the process by teaching data-driven and soul-driven time and energy management practices that result in saving time, making more money, and experiencing less stress. She has served thousands of entrepreneurs in her signature membership program, which is called Origin Collective. In there, she guides people to infuse feminine energy into their businesses and helps them reclaim time. She's also helped over 5,000 students heal their relationship with money with her signature Money Love course. Her first book is how I met her, Money, A Love Story. It's been published in five languages, but her second book is where I fell in love with her. It's called Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management for Busy Moms. And it's available now via Amazon, and it's a really prescient and timely read that feels especially potent during these strange times. My guest's work has been featured on the Today Show, Yahoo Finance, Women's Health, Glamour, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, Wanderlust, and the Huffington Post, just to name a few. I'm deeply honored and greatly pleasured to bring to you my guest today, whose work has actually changed my relationship with money and now my relationship with performativity and productivity Please welcome to the show, Kate Northrup. Hi, thanks, thanks for, for being. Me. Yes, and so happy that you're here today. And it, you know, we record this show a couple weeks out, but we're we're a few weeks into um, navigation of the global pandemic of coronavirus, and so. Um, I'm just going to introduce that right out the gate because I believe when this show publishes in April, we're probably still navigating it, um, and. As I was flipping through Do Less last night to um, make sure I had, you know, solid interview questions, I was just struck again by, you know, it, it feels like um, that you almost downloaded the exact lessons that we would need for this time, like psychically in advance. Um, do you feel that way sitting here now that you're like, wow, I really knew what was up? I think that. Uh, first of all, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Great. And second of all, like just in the world, but I do feel that it is kind of wild. So many folks have on some level craved more spaciousness and less rushing and having uh, just less of the like running around and now it's here and it's very painful um so because it's come obviously in a different package than we would have liked and so yeah i mean i am having various people share my book on social media and say like 
wow, this book is so perfectly timed for this moment. And that's a weird, um, it's, I'm grateful that there is this resource. Um, because I know for me in our family right now, like it's not, it's, yes, some people suddenly have more time than they know what to do with, but a lot of us with kids home who are still working um, have way less time than mm-hmm. we had before. And so we are faced with this situation of needing to ground into what really matters and figure out how to get, um, how to get the most, the best use of our time while unhooking from our cultural obsession with busyness. It's like a very weird, we're just, it's a time to question everything. And so, um, yeah, I do. I probably need to go back and, you know, re- reread the book. <laughs> You're like, what did I write about? What did you say? You know? Well, don't worry. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'm here to. None of us are immune. That's for sure. None of us are immune for this moment. Well, so I, I'd love to hear a little bit of your backstory because I know I'm not everyone is familiar with you. So like I said, I first found you via the book Money, A Love Story, and I decided you know, that you're an expert on money, but very much in an approachable way. Um, can you tell us first, how did you become a money expert? How did you become the, the, the um, entrepreneur that you are today? And then how did that lead you to later realize the power of doing less or the necessity of doing less? Can you give us just a little bit of your backstory, Kate? Yes. So I will tell you, I think I'm an expert on learning things and then sharing about my experience. Um, but I'm not particularly like, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't call myself a money expert. I just happened to write a book about money, but really from the perspective of like field notes, I, I feel like I'm a, I feel like I just report in on what I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Um, and it seems to resonate with people, but as opposed to like, you know, somebody who, spent 25 years as a certified financial planner or something, just want to make a clear designation. Mm -hmm. That's not me. Um, And yeah. And then I basically, you know, I got into, I got myself into a bunch of debt and got myself into a bunch of financial pickles in my early twenties. And then, and then my book is the story about how I unraveled that and how I helped some other folks do the same because once I figure out that something works for me, I just can't not share it. That's basically what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what our business is, which is that I, I go through things and figure them out and uh, then let people know what I figured out and so that it can help them. I love that so much because I, I always say that, you know, like I coach women and and we're constantly asking ourselves the question of like, or, or deciding that we're not good enough yet to teach what we know um, because there's somebody who knows more, right? And what I'm always sharing is like, yes, and we're both the teacher and the student. Expertise is a spectrum. So as we learn, we're, you know, making our way up this expertise spectrum. And there comes a point at which there's a whole bunch of people who are over here on the left side of the spectrum who are ready to learn from you and you don't have to be the 25 year expert financial planner in order to really serve all of the people who are ready to be your student, right? So I think it's so encouraging to hear that. How did your path then lead you to uh, realizing that you actually wanted to do less? Or feel free to respond to what I just said too. Yeah, well, I did wanna say uh, one thing which is that Oftentimes, the people who are closer to the learning can be the best teachers or sometimes because sometimes the folks who've been at it, let's say, um, you know, and are so far removed from the situation themselves, sometimes uh, aren't always the best teacher for every single person. I'm not saying there's not tremendous value in a long a long career or long-term expertise, but um, just for anyone listening who's like, oh, well, I, you know, let's say you're a wellness person and you're like, well, I just got started on my own wellness journey a year ago. How could I possibly be part of the conversation when, you know, people like 
whoever have been doing this for 30 years. And I was like, well, because you remember what it's like to want to eat a bag of Oreos instead of, you know, mm-hmm. like other people don't remember or never knew. So it, so we can all relate to our perfect people is basically what I'm trying to say. Um, and then, yeah, so how did Do Less come about? Well, basically, I um, after my book, Money, A Love Story, came out, I felt very creatively dried up. I didn't really have anything further to say on the topic. But the problem is when you write a book about something, people want you to talk about it. Um, and I was very grateful for that opportunity. But I just like knew that talking about money for the rest of my life was not going to be my exclusive thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm a, um, I am somebody who's interested in so many things and wanting to bring all these ideas to the table. And I see the interconnections between things. And, you know, I'm not going to be somebody who's like known for one thing for my whole life. And um, there's, I don't know if you know about human design at all, but there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a, the, a type in human design, the manifesting generator, which is, I'm a manifesting generator. Me too, baby. Right. So very much like, you know, we'll do a bunch of different things and that's Mm -hmm. totally great. So that book came out and then I just felt creatively dried up. I didn't really know what to do with my attention or focus or business. And, um, and I went through really a a fallow period, um, creatively. And then in, in the meantime, I got married. Um, I had our first baby and that process of the pregnancy and then, um, needing to really slow down because my body just was asking me to. I was so tired. And then the birth experience, um, I had a, a really tough birth experience with Penelope. And then a really hard first year with her. I mean, I, I, I haven't really talked to many people where the first year of parenthood isn't challenging in certain ways. Um, and ours, we had... I had postpartum anxiety and, and postpartum insomnia and uh, Penelope was really sick. And so she just had severe, severe eczema and would just wake up screaming and scratching all night long. And it was just, it was awful. And uh, during that period of time, um, we had 10 hours of childcare a week, which I just want to say, usually when I tell this story, that sounds really minimal but right now 10 hours of childcare a week would be <laughs> freaking amazing because I have none but anyway um we we had very minimal childcare at the time for us um and and we just we were working like less than half the amount and so we assumed that I mean, honestly, I didn't even have the bandwidth to think about it. We were just kind of getting through the day. Mm. But a year after Penelope's birth, we sat with our accountants and our accountant and realized that we had made the same amount of money working less than half the amount of hours that we ever had worked before Mm. in our business. And I thought, well, well, I would never want to go through this period of time again because it was brutal. Um, What if we could take what we did and do it on purpose, but without a sick baby and all the psychological problems I was having. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's sort of where do less came from was thinking, well, we're not that special. How could people get the same results or better working less? And that's essentially where it came from. So did the, did the premise come before investigating the tools that you share as framed as experiments or did you already have those tools in your toolkit and you were kind of looking back on the first year with Penelope and going, okay, what, what help, what helped us earn the same while doing less? I think it was all of these things or was it kind of like you realized, okay, we can earn as much by doing less. And so what are some ways that I can help make that available to other people? And then you were hitting on these ideas of like, you know, listening to your body, tracking the moon and your moon cycles, checking your vitals, receiving and asking for help, all the things that you share in the book. I think it was a combination of both. So definitely some of it was like, 
wait a second, how the heck did we do this? And then going back in time and looking at, oh, well, we had not nearly as much time. So we had to really focus in on the things that brought the biggest results in the least amount of time, which is the whole concept of the vital few in the 80-20 rule. And then, um, and then it was really looking at how my body had slowed me down, but how that didn't actually slow down our revenue, even though I had always assumed that if I rested more, my income would tank. Mm -hmm. But since that didn't happen, I had to go back and look at, well, how did that not happen? And so I would say the tools in the book are a combination of things that I did intuitively during that first year of parenthood um, that I then wanted to articulate and share. But then also some of the things that I shared were like, well, what if we tried this too? Like things that I hadn't done during that first year mm -hmm. that I thought um, would be useful and that I had tried um, moving forward. So after, after kind of the premise of Do Less came to me. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things that you introduce in Do Less is the idea of cyclical living. Um, and you explain one of the, the, the reasons behind cyclical living is it creating a balance between these binaries or these polarities of masculine energy and feminine energy that are inherent in all things and that are you know present in many different philosophies or cultures we have the idea of yin and yang we have the idea of you know light and dark um and so you share some of the feminine qualities um and, you know, my listeners, you guys have heard me talk about this in many different episodes with many different people because it's something I'm very, very passionate about myself, but just traditional qualities of the masculine, um, which are very valorized in Western culture, especially in the United States. And they're, you know, productive, linear, analytical, aggressive, kind of the A to B um, mentality, if this, then this, and harder, better, faster, stronger, we do more, we win, right? Where the feminine is more, and, and when we're talking about masculine and feminine, I, you know, bears repeating, as I've said before, that this is not gendered and it's not based on what your sex is at birth. So regardless of whether you're agender, non-gender conforming, we all are carrying masculine and feminine energy, right? Um, so the feminine then being more nurturing, intuitive, cyclical, process-oriented, being, overdoing. And you also highlight um, the masculine energy as being more me-oriented and the feminine energy as being more we-oriented. The question I have for you about this is, do you feel like we're seeing a surge of feminine qualities during this time of global pandemic? I certainly hope so. Um, I, you know, I live in a very tiny slice of the world um, mm -hmm. in a small town in Maine. And then my, the, the sort of my realm is certainly not indicative of the entire planet mm -hmm, in terms mm -hmm. of just like who I follow on social media and who I interact with. So I, I just want to preface this by saying- You have an information bubble, Kate. I live in an information <laughs> bubble. Like so do I. However, because I couldn't possibly, you know, be gathering data about the entire planet in PS, if you think that when watching the news or reading a news source that it is a gathering of data from across the entire planet and that it's like reporting in on that, it's not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just, you know, just like letting you know how the media works. Um, it's, a, it's also a slice of an information bubble. Um, but yeah, I mean, I certainly hope that this, my, my, my prayer is that this moment wakes us up to the ways that we behave that are wasteful and that are in exact opposition to our life force. So I think this is a moment um, for us to choose the things that come into our world and the ways that we are behaving. Uh, to be more life-giving. Mm. If this uh, virus has brought anything to light, it's how we need to protect ourselves from the um, the different ideas and 
um, pathogens and people and behaviors that are toxic for us. And some of that is actually just how we think and who we are at our core uh, based on the belief systems that we've gotten downloaded from a culture that tells us that what really matters at the end of the day is achievement um, as opposed to well-being. And mm -hmm. uh, this became very clear the other day. Um, we have a friend who works at a institution of higher learning that's uh, fairly prestigious and and all those kids went home, you know, when, when all the colleges shut down. Mm -hmm. um, and our friend was saying, well, even though they're taking all these classes online and stuff, you know, at least they'll have a, a blank diploma, right? At mm -hmm. least they'll have a, this, this school's diploma. And, um, and, and that's totally true. And, you know, these people have paid so much money and they've put in so much effort. So I'm not discounting that, but it just struck me so profoundly how the focus of the conversation was, well, at least they'll have this piece of paper to mm -hmm. prove their status. Mm -hmm. And I think that mentality, the idea that like we are our achievements and that we have to rank them against each other in society is really, I hope that it gets highlighted in, in this moment. And I hope that we can all um, begin to look at the ways that we that we're talking to our children about what matters and mm. begin to look at the ways that we spend our time, um, which is really back to what I talk about and do less and the premise of my whole work right now is like being so discerning to say, what am I putting my time and attention and money on? Is it gathering a certain number of Instagram followers? Is it like needing a certain size house, like what is the purpose here? Because we are all dying, mm -hmm. okay? Um, I mean, this is a total side note, but like I do think that this moment is really bringing to light our culture's problem with death and with mm -hmm. talking about death and with acknowledging the fact that we are all dying. Mm -hmm. So then, of course, when we talk about dying, and do I think that these that we should do what we can to prevent deaths when possible? Absolutely. So please let me let me be clear about that. But at the same time, we are all dying. We're all going the same direction, and none of this, all the check marks and the tick boxes, none of it will matter at mm -hmm. all, at all, at, in the end. And so, what are we doing? How are we going to live? based on that. And so for those of us who are needing to scale way back in our home with kids, you know, our kids, we took them to this farm yesterday to pick up some, um, some beef that they, the farmers had put aside for us. And then we just like walked around the farm for the morning with nowhere to be and nothing to do because we have nowhere to be. And we've just mm -hmm. decided to have way less to do. Mm -hmm. and Mike and I looked at each other and we were like, so after this is all over, like we want more mornings like this. Like, why mm -hmm. are we not just having mornings like this? Mm -hmm. But we're not because just like everyone else, we can get so swept up in the, in the loop, in the cycle of needing to do more and make more and have more. And, um, and so anyway, very long answer to your question. I do not know for sure if this moment is bringing more feminine energy to the rise, but I hope so. Hmm. Thank you for such a thoughtful answer. And I, I, you know, I felt the full body chills when you touched on how um, our culture has a problem with death. And I believe that the concept of cyclical living actually invites us to make more peace with the death energy. Um, it is something that is present in our seasons, both our 
external seasons in the actual physical landscape in, in the sense of winter, right? We have a time each year where crops die, where the fields lie fallow, where we have this, um, we go into that inner energy, the land does so that it can regenerate itself. And if you were born into a female body um, and you, you menstruate or you've had that experience within our cycle, we also have an inner winter, right? We have the period of our menstrual cycle that is when we're bleeding, that is actually this death time. Um, and I, you know, for some people, that's kind of an out there idea. I think for most of the people that listen to the show, you guys have heard me talk about menstrual wisdom before. Um, so I, I, what I'm wondering is, do you think that if we uh, can attune to acceptance and awareness of the natural cycles of things by by checking in with the moon cycle, by, by, by attuning to the land or making more connection with the earth and or attuning to our own, our own bodies, do you think that we can um, become more comfortable with death? Hmm. I love that question. Totally. Yeah. I mean, every month as a woman and every month um, on the planet, because of what happens with the moon, um, we go through a period of darkness. And so we are given these opportunities. I can't remember at one point I knew off the top of my head, I can't remember the number of lunar cycles that somebody will, you know, witness or be privy to in a, in an average lifespan, but it's a lot. <laughs> um, and if we acknowledge the little letting go, because what death is, is it's, it's loss, right? It's, it's something was here and now it's not. Um, mm -hmm. we, uh, we crave the reason this moment is so deeply painful for so many of us is because we so crave certainty. And what really strikes me is that life is always wildly uncertain. It's just so much more visible now. Um, and so for all of us who have been, you know, tootling along here thinking that we know what's going on and then now the car, the rug has been pulled out from under us and now we feel so uncertain. <laughs> well, it's not actually different than it was before. We just are aware of it now. And so I do think that these moments each month with the dark of the moon or each month with our bleed um, or even an acknowledgement in the seasons each year, like that feeling, I, I, I do get a little bit of seasonal affective disorder, that feeling of grief at the end, like, uh, you know, between, especially between um, Halloween and, and Christmas for me can be a very dark time. It's obviously a dark time on the planet if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but if we can allow ourselves to actually be in that energy, I do think that we won't be so terrified of, of death itself, our own death, the death of the people we love, but also of all the ways in which life is incredibly uncertain. And at any given moment, we have no idea what will be there or what won't be there, um, which is the only certain thing is that we're going to basically lose everything. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I do think that we can tune into that in a small way each month and, and, and not really like increase our comfort with it, but expand our capacity to be with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you share, you know, you talked a little bit about um, whether this season will give us an opportunity or whether it's giving us an opportunity to shift our value systems and in, in Do Less, you share at one point the some of the primary regrets of the dying. Um, and I feel like that's that could be really helpful for people right now uh, to just hear. I don't know if you re do you remember the top five regrets of the dying? Um, not off the top of my head. But I Kate, do you have every line of your book memorized? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> 
Um, well, I'll share them. So in Do Less, you share that the top five regrets of the dying. This was shared from Brawny. I think it's Brawny Ware. I hope I'm pronouncing their name correctly. Um, this was based on her conversations with the dying as a palliative care worker. And she shares that the top five regrets were uh, wishing they'd had the courage to live more true to themselves rather than what was expected of them. Uh, wishing they hadn't worked so hard. Wishing they'd had the courage to express their feelings wishing they'd stayed in touch with friends, wishing they'd let themselves be happier. So none of those are like wishing that they made more money, wishing that they bought a bigger house, wishing that they had the degree from the prestigious university. They're all, re they're all related to, um, like their fundamental connection between themselves and that which is greater than themselves. Like ultimately they're, their self-worth and then their relationships. So with courage to express feelings, stay in touch with their friends. Um, these values, I feel like we, well, and I wanna be sensitive to the fact that everybody is in different living situations as you've pointed out and that it's probably a mark of privilege to be able to take this time and allow it to be reprioritizing what's important because frankly if you're at home and you are living paycheck to paycheck and you don't have any money and you don't have any food food like you're not in the space of being able to maybe think about this as like a good thing or a blessing um so just i am aware of that and aware of what a marker of my own privilege it is to be able to look at it this way but i feel like for me those feel especially potent right now. I feel like we're being invited to re-examine what's important and those regrets of the dying are um, helpful for me to think about because I'm, I wonder, you know, am I taking this opportunity to slow down and focus on actually experiencing the opportunities for pleasure that are right in front of me taking this opportunity to connect with friends taking this opportunity, like you said, to actually be with my family. Um, and, you know, it's there's an interesting balance, I feel like, happening where we are kind of in an induced winter. And it, we're in this, you know, you mentioned the fertile void in your book. And it's it's like, you talk about it as kind of an inner winter, this time where things are fallow. And that's what you said, do less was born out of. And I feel like we all have that opportunity right now to be facing death and to be considering where we are with those five main regrets of the dying. Um, I'm not even sure I have a question on that one, Kate. I just was like, wanted to touch on that part. I Isn't love it. I'm glad you did. And it's so true. I'm glad you touched on the privilege piece. Um, and I also want to say uh, on the privilege piece that uh, for those of us who do have the space to exhale and ask ourselves these deeper questions, I do believe that part of the reason we have such a vast expanse of inequity in our world is because the people who have the privilege to do so are in many ways keeping the hamster wheel going so that we aren't thinking about the other people who aren't in the same situations as us. And mm -hmm. the constant running and the constant production hurts the folks who have the least opportunity the most. And so for those of us who do have the space to reevaluate and take a look at our values, um, I do believe that that is, can be part of the healing taking place so that if we calmed everything down and we're not so freaking obsessed with achievement, it actually, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not an economist. I, I, I don't know, but I do believe that um, those of us who have some ability to slow things down, if we do so, that will ripple out to some degree. And also, you know, if you have the ability to pay 
some of the people who can't keep who can't keep working right like are there ways that you can contribute right now if you have financial bandwidth to do so can you be donating so that people who can't eat can eat like there are energetic ways that we can help and then there are financial ways that we can help you know can you donate to a place like the actors fund in new york for out of work artists can you you know what are the places that we can re allocate our spending um, so that we can uh, just be thinking more about the we. Thank you so much for that. That's such a, um, it's such an important topic to me. And I, you know, I believe, um, it's not even a belief, it's the people who have the least access to resources are currently the people who are being hit the hardest by this. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's areas where there's already food deserts, especially on, um, you know, areas that have high indigenous and aboriginal populations um, that don't have a lot of access to food right now, even less than usual. So um, we'll share some resources in the show notes, actually, where you can donate. And if you haven't already heard of it, the C19 Help Squad, which was founded by Sean King, is a really great resource that sharing mutual aid opportunities um, for people across the country. So if you're, whether you're able to give time and energy and deliver groceries or um, medications to people who can't go out, there's a lot of different ways that you can help, even if it's not financial. So I'm glad we, glad we got ourselves there. Um, I'd love to shift into a little bit of the the value that you really deliver in Do Less. And, and first, I'll just say, go buy the book. You've got time on your hands right now. And if you have a little money to buy it, it's a great read, especially for this time. Um, um, one, I say also, yes. on that, um, the paper, so it's even less money because the paperback is out. Um, by the time that this show will go live, the paperback is out. And it, the paperback is revised, um, is newly revised, and it actually has a new subtitle. So the subtitle used to be a, a revolutionary um, approach to time and energy management for busy moms, but I changed the subtitle uh, to being for ambitious women, and I actually included new data, new stories, and reworked book so that it's less mom focused and now for all women. Cool. We all need it. Thank you for that clarification. You're welcome. Um, so first, I want to ask this question first because I think it's really important and relevant and kind of relates to what we were just talking to. You open and close the book, not right at the very opening, not right at the very closing, but you, you kind of bracket the book with this idea of allowing and receiving. Um, and that allowing and receiving are really overlooked powers or abilities that um, all people have, but specifically for women. And you talk about uh, the cosmic egg and I'll let you go into kind of any area that you want with this, but what do you believe is the primary power behind shifting into more allowing and receiving versus pursuing and chasing to get? What do you think, what is that about for you? Because I know it's something that many, many women, I do work with women, um, you know, specifically who have experienced sexual violence and, and, um, and spiritual oppression and trauma. And one of the biggest challenges that many of those women have, I think so many women, is the idea of receiving. It is so hard for so many of us to receive even a compliment or a freaking five-minute neck rub from our spouse, much less you know, an orgasm or much less sitting back to actually try to just receive the desires of our heart or the things that we're calling in as it relates to our work or to, you know, our love relationships. So um, just talk, talk to me about allowing and receiving and why is it important? Why should we even think about cultivating more of that energy in our lives? So as women, um, it is really important to know that we, um, it, so there's, there's this work of a woman named Dr. Valerie Rain, who wrote a great book called Patriarchy Stress Disorder, which I highly recommend. Um, and she talks about the four ways in which being a woman is just traumatic 
fundamentally in our culture. So one is ancestral trauma. So if we think about the lineages and, um, you know, thinking back to what, what may have happened to our grandmothers and our grandmothers' grandmothers and, and, and the women who came before us and how we carry that trauma in ourselves, which is uh, not a spiritual idea. That is, I mean, it is, but it's also a very much um, a data-driven scientific concept that's proven. Um, and then the collective trauma, when we see other women um, being treated poorly, being oppressed, you know, when we see Dr. Blasey Ford on the stand and she is not believed, we register that as trauma in our own bodies because she is a representative of us. And then we have, of course, our big T and little T traumas that happen to us on a personal level. Um, so with all of that, it's really important to know that we have been enculturated in a way that has us believe that we are not as valuable as men and that therefore we need to continue to prove our worth and continue to earn our right to take up space on the planet. That is exhausting. <laughs> so this whole idea that we don't even deserve to be here let alone to enjoy being here. Like we, it, there's this whole, you know, it's very deep and it's very multi-layered, but I just wanted to speak to, that's part of the reason why we have so much trouble receiving is that first of all, uh, you know, in our cellular DNA, um, we have the memory that letting down our guard is not safe. Mm -hmm. what. So allowing, you know, our partner, let's say, to give us a shoulder rub for three minutes is a very microcosmic but relevant example of letting down our guard. Mm -hmm. And just like, it makes sense that that doesn't feel safe because mm -hmm. historically for women, it's not been safe to mm -hmm. be anything other than hypervigilant. And then you get into the layer of, okay, we live in a culture that tells women they're not as valuable, just by the sheer fact of the spaces we, we operate in. Like, hi, there's never enough ladies rooms, for example. Spaces have not been created considering women's needs. That is inherently traumatic. Like it feels, even though you might not think it's a big deal, um, I went into the wing in Boston, that women's um, workspace, women in non-binary workspace, uh, in Boston, they have them, of course, all over the world now. Um, and I walked in and I just like, I got so emotional because I had basically never been to a public space that had been created with me in mind. And it was mm. so incredible to feel my body felt navigating a space that had been designed by someone who was thinking about me. Mm. <laughs> really wild, really wild. So, um, so we are unraveling a lot of layers that come with receiving and allowing. Um, and I'm learning so much more about this that I didn't put in my book because I didn't know because I'm mm -hmm. just always researching and learning. But, um, but that being said, the way we can become better receivers and better allowers is to tend to our nervous systems. So when we tend to our nervous system, when we learn how to um, move from, instead of the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, hypervigilance, to the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and restore and heal, then we can actually, our bodies will relax and then we can allow support into our lives. We can receive love and pleasure that's available and we can really begin to attract um, more of what we want instead of being in this tight feeling of like, I have to prove myself always to not only keep myself safe, but also to just even earn my right to be here on the planet. And so some of the, my favorite central nervous system healing techniques are um, breathing um, into my lower back ribs, um, feeling gravity. So just literally feeling my body be held by gravity, very, very effective. Um, shaking. Animals in nature, when they are, when they're chased, they shake. 
after I gave birth to both of my babies, I shook. It's our body's natural, normal response to release the toxins of stress. And, but we don't do that. We instead in our culture, we like get all, you know, we talk about things instead, but, uh, but trauma is stored in the body, not in our minds. And so when we try to heal trauma through talking, it doesn't work because it lives in the body. Um, so all, all different kinds of trauma healing tools and nervous system tending are what I would recommend um, for working on your receiving. Mm. Thank you so much for that, Kate. And I, I just never tire of that conversation. I think, um, you know, in my information bubble and my sphere of influence and the, the circles that I get to walk in, um, I think it's because it's the spiral path that I am walking. But um, so many women are waking up to, are waking up to the awareness that, um, that the trauma that we carry isn't just our own and that it really is part of this multi-millennia paradigm that um, we are we are in and by shifting by shifting or expanding our consciousness to be aware of it to be able to operate simultaneously in the experience of it but also to be the witness of it we can create more freedom for ourselves um, and start to start to heal it or start to create more space from it. Um, so I'm, I just am so grateful that you touched on that. I think it's so important. And those um, specifically those tools that you just offered for tending the nervous system and for stimulating parasympathetic are super valuable. So thank you for that. And I would add to the list um, your own voice, the sound of your own voice for healing. So whether you're singing or chanting or, or um, even just humming or speaking kindly to yourself, all of those things are very powerful, um, especially sacred, sacred sound through your own voice can be really, really healing. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you about, about time and energy drain. There's a, a whole beautiful section of the book where you're talking about um, simplifying life and the main areas of energy drain. And you also talk about time bending and collapsing. So I think what my question is, is um, especially right now, how can we maximize our time and how can we become aware of perhaps the areas that are draining energy and make adjustments there? Yeah, so this really... Um it is also about getting into our bodies and uh, tending to our energy first. So we think that the best way to get more done and feel more satisfied and um, get better results is to manage our time better. But actually, uh, the source of time is our perception. And the source of time is our energy. And uh, the source of our ability to get anything done is our energy. So we actually need to tend to our energy. Um, and then the time piece kind of works itself out. So we can't actually manage time, um, but we can manage our energy. And our ability to tend to our energetic reserves um, allows us to expand time, expand our ability to be present, um, expand our ability to be creative, to be innovative, um, and also to be in enjoyment of our time. Because at the end of the day, uh, what's the point if we're not enjoying it? And so how do you tend to your energy? Well, you know, all the wellness practices, certainly, whatever, you know, the nervous system practices that we talked about, um, but whatever makes you, I mean, it's so simple. Do you feel good or do you not feel good <laughs> is really the question. And our job, if we want to be time benders is to do what we need to do to feel as good as we possibly can in any given moment. Mm -hmm. um, and that might look different to a lot of different people, but I like to have what I call a bliss list. And I created a do less planner and right in the back of the do less planner, there is um, a spot for your bliss list. And your bliss list is the things that you know are your go-to's that will help you feel better. And 
it, this is not a complicated concept, but it is a revolutionary one because if we keep coming back to our bliss list and we incorporate those practices regularly, not only do we become a more powerful attractor for what we want, we also become a much better human being <laughs> because mm -hmm. beings who are operating in bliss are more creative, are more resilient, are healthier. Think, um, think of ideas that help people. We are, we are, we are much better for the planet. And so, um, on my bliss list is certainly like getting outside, dancing, um, physical contact, you know, with my husband, um, drinking water. So simple, <laughs> right. Singing, mm. you mentioned the voice. So, you know, make your bliss list and that's going to help you expand time. Mm, thank you so much for that. Um, the final experiment that you offer in the book is to let it be enough. And I think, you know, we've already touched on one of the reasons that this seems to be the hardest for women, and it is the cultural conditioning combined with um, combined with the collective and ancestral trauma and the messages that we receive that say it's not enough it's and we receive them from such a young age you know we receive them from media um especially from the beauty industry and the fashion industry and you know diet culture and um all of these different messages that say that you know we're, you're not enough just the way that you are but if you do x y and z then you might get there um, for you, Kate, how, how do you let it be enough? Is it through connection with God, the universe? Do you just, are you practicing surrender? What, what is the way that, what is the way that you can return to this day after day, knowing that we're going, we're going to have the moments where we feel like it is not enough and we're going to have the feedback from our sense sense perceptions where sometimes it's really if you know it, it really maybe isn't enough we don't have enough um we didn't earn enough to pay the bills or we didn't get the job or we didn't you know um we didn't allow or receive what we needed and so it feels like we are not enough mm -hmm. how do we shift it yeah, so for, for me and what I recommend um, is that we have to cultivate our spiritual practices um, and, a, and a belief in something greater or bigger than just human experience. Um, whenever, you know, I was really sick over the last week and I definitely had all those thoughts coming up about, oh my gosh, there's this global situation going on. I'm not showing up for my people. I'm, you know, I literally was just in bed and um, I just had to really lean on the trust that when I am most needed, I will be called and that, um, there is something greater going on here and that I am not God. God is in me. God is in all of us, but none of us are all of God. None of us are solely responsible for the planet or mm -hmm. humanity. Um, and so I think really like prayer is incredibly helpful to me um, and, and really connecting with nature and just nature uh, getting outside, seeing the birds, seeing the trees, feeling the sun, laying on the ground, all of those things just remind me that there is a lot more going on and I am but a small speck and I can do what I can do and that's all that I can do and some days I can't do much and that mm -hmm. is okay because there's a lot happening out there that's not me. I think we really have to get our egos in check around the, the letting it be enough and know that like we are so small in the grand scheme of things and mm -hmm. that can either freak you out or relax you and uh, we get to choose and I choose to relax. Me too sister. I feel like when we you know and it circles us back to kind of the beginning of the conversation which is that 
you know, we're all going to the grave and that can be a scary thought or it can be liberating because we can remember that we have this time. We incarnated for some reason. We chose to be here now um, or, you know, it was chosen for you, whatever you believe. Um, and even if you believe in chaos, even if you, if you don't, if you don't believe in quote, a higher power, there is the higher power of chaos and chaos is inherently feminine. It's not linear and out of chaos comes emergence. And the idea of emergence is that if we take all of these, um, fundamentally unreliable conditions, as you put it, and we kind of shake them up in the snow globe that out of that something will emerge and what emerges is um is in a sense exactly as it should be because in in that thought system there is no should right there is no valorizing this situation over that situation because it just is what it is i feel greatly comforted when i think about um being small and being here for a brief time and at the same time i feel inspired by that to do less, love more, experience more pleasure, and serve to the best of my ability with the gifts that I've been given because they were given for a reason. And so that I think is the message for anybody listening who is feeling like, how do we get through this? Am I enough? I have to do more. Just remember that the unique gifts that you have are the ones that you can serve with and you don't have to have everybody's gifts and you don't have to do all the things you get to be here and be you and move forward as best you can and let it be enough so i know that um we usually do a book club kate and so this week and normally i would ask you to share a book that has dramatically changed your life and i'll i'll let you share that if you want but i will say that that do less um which is now subtitled a revolutionary approach to time and energy management for ambitious women right um is a really really powerful book and i would highly recommend that you guys read it um, you can find a link to it in the show notes. You can get it on Kate's website, which is katenorthrup.com backslash book. You can probably find multiple retailers of it by going that direction. Um, and if you're falling in love with Kate like I am and you want to just learn more from the ways that she um, she teaches and synthesizes and researches and then shares with us, you can join the Origin Collective and the URL for that, the website for that is origincollective.com. Um, Kate, is there anything that you would like to share or offer as like a tool? It could be a book, it could be a specific spiritual practice, it could be a teacher, but something that you feel like has really impacted you and helped you um, on your path or, or even during this time, just something that you feel like could support our listeners. Yeah. I mean, um, I talk about this book in my book, do less, um, which is emergent strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. Um, and she really talks about how we can look to the natural world for solutions to our human problems. Um, and I think we are being very much pulled in that direction right now. And, um, we need to really trust that nature knows what it's doing. Um, make of that what you will in this particular moment in history, but that's what I believe. Thank you so much. And then my last question for you, Kate, is just, um, it could be the best advice you've ever received, or it could be if we were, um, if we ran into each other and I was having one of those days where I just didn't think I was going to be okay, any last words of wisdom, encouragement, um, anything that you feel on your heart to share with the collective at this time? Um, it is really to know that your worth and your value are not determined by the amount you do or by what you do at all. It's inherent. Thank you so much for that. 
Oh, I feel uplifted. I'm so grateful for your presence today and for sharing so much of your wisdom with us. And um, if you guys fell in love, you can connect with her on social. It's at Kate Northrup. Yeah, on Instagram. At Kate Northrup on Instagram. You can find her at katenorthrup.com um, and origincollective.com. Thank you, Kate, for taking the time to hang out and um, have such a beautiful and open conversation. I am just grateful to, to continue learning from you and with you. Um, I just appreciate how you're moving in the world. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Women Awake Podcast. If you love today's show, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot right now and share to Instagram stories tagging Amelia Travis and Women Awake. Each month, I'll choose someone who shared and send you a gift as a thank you for being part of this incredible community. It's your support that makes this show possible. So if you do love us, please subscribe share with a friend or head to iTunes right now to leave me an honest review. And until next time, keep showing up, telling the truth, and remember that everything is an instrument for our awakening.